from all I hear, he's a sucko golfer. <laughs> After all these years and rounds. So who does he think he is hacking on like this? Sam Sneed? <laughs> John, I wanted to ask you to begin with, um, not that this is the most important question in your writing, but the one that um, I guess uh, most immediately concerns uh, uh, something like the New Yorker Festival. How this relationship with the New Yorker began, first as a reader, you grew up uh, in, in, in reading, outside of reading, Pennsylvania, and then moved to a farm when you were 13, and this magazine somehow trickled to you. How did that happen, and what effect did it have? Um, my father was one of three children, uh, the youngest, actually, and uh, he had a sister, Mary, who lived in Greenwich, Connecticut, and indeed, for a time, worked for the New Republic. Uh, sorry, is that a rival That's publication? Okay. <laughs> uh, so she was a savvy, a savvy lady who felt that we her younger brother and his rural family isolated uh, in Pennsylvania. Uh, the city, by the way, is, is reading, not reading. Uh, reading. Uh, this is going to be easy, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> she felt that we could do with the New Yorker magazine, and I think it began to come in the house uh, during World War II when I was about 11. I was already a reader and a lover of magazines. The local drugstore had the sort of Norman Rockwell rack of uh, cheerful um, middle-class uh, weeklies and shiny, and I loved the cartoons, and I thought at that point in my life I wanted to be a cartoonist. And so it was something of a revelation that this uh, slightly smaller but infinitely uh, more tasty magazine began to come into the house and of course at that age I didn't read the fiction or even the fact very much but I did look at the cartoons and I began to read the poetry and uh, I fell in love with it really I mean it was looking back almost sick uh, the extent to which I uh, loved the New Yorker and I fairly quickly began to try to send them things young as I was and mostly I thought those little drawings called spots that's what they're called or decks uh, something I could do since they were very small and modest and I used to send them in uh, always enclosing a self-addressed stamped envelope uh, <laughs> and always getting that damn envelope back with the with the things uh, in them but nevertheless uh, this romance uh, continued uh, as I matured and um, by the time I got out of college I was determined to try to get into the New Yorker. And I figured if I couldn't do it in five years, then I clearly wouldn't be able to do it at all. And actually, it began to happen that, that June I got out. It was really, as I look back on my literary life, I can't think of any moment happier than getting that first acceptance up in Moortown, Vermont, where my first wife had a, uh, her parents had a summer home. But that little, you know, the, the envelope was not the usual my envelope. It was <laughs> their envelope. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> said, we like this poem, and there isn't enough light verse in the world, and so on. And so it, so it began. Did your being a writer depend on an acceptance like that? Did, you, did your ambition to leave college and, and start to publish and, and, and quite frankly make a living depend on a magazine like that giving you an acceptance? Uh, in a Not word. that you could live on... The, the, what we would pay for a poem in 19. Well, a dollar went a long way then. Uh, <laughs> I, I don't remember the amount that I got for that first poem. It was 16 lines. Um, 
But I do remember, or seem to remember, and as Roger Angel says, memory is a tricky thing, but I think the first story of mine that they took, which was that same summer, only in August, uh, I got $525 for it, which to a, a child raised in the depression of a school teacher father whose annual wage was $1,200, suddenly here was 500 and I thought, boy, I'm... I'm really a writer now, and it's a, yeah, it's a wonderful, wonderful moment. Uh, maybe I'm not doing justice somehow to what the New Yorker, how superior it seemed to other magazines. It just had a, the names of the authors in those years appeared only at the end. There was no table of contents. The whole thing was what we now call, or what we did used to call, cool. I don't think we had the word somehow cool, but the the understated quality, the kind of take-it-or-leave-it quality, uh, has been a model for my behavior insofar as I have any uh, professional behavior. <laughs> and what were the early relationships you developed at that magazine that mattered to you in terms of editing? I think William Maxwell and, and Sean and the rest and Catherine White. Bill... Bill Maxwell, uh, who many of you have no doubt read, and some of you, at least one of you, uh, two of you I know in the audience knew, uh, happened to write the poem, the, the letter accepting the poem. So I associated him somehow with uh, good things uh, at the New Yorker. But my first editor of fiction was Catherine White, uh, who was back. Her husband had taken her to Maine in the 30s and then come back in the war to fill in because Ross said the magazine was depleted of people. And so she and E.B. White came back. And uh, at the tag end of that period, when she was kind of coming and going, she was the fiction editor. Uh, and I remember going over proofs with her in a very newspaper-like way. Um, the New Yorker didn't yet know it was, didn't quite know that it was an art magazine. It thought it was a kind of a newspaper. And uh, Ross himself had newspaper experience, and primarily newspaper experience, and a lot of the, a lot of the writers had come out of the, the newspaper ranks, which were more abundant then than they became. And the offices themselves over on uh, 43rd Street looked like a newspaper office. There were stacks of... Um, railroad timetables uh, in one office and everything was slightly dusty and funky uh, anyway uh, she would sit you down sit you down beside her and go over uh, your short story fairly quickly and so you had no time for second thoughts no time to mull it over what would this do to the first paragraph or the last paragraph and uh, and I, so that made me restless and I usually asked to take it away with me to my own office where I could contemplate a little further these things being imposed on me. But she was um, a very warm-hearted woman, actually, and very encouraging. In 55 or so, maybe 56, uh, the Whites moved again to Maine, this time kind of definitively, and William Maxwell became my editor, and he was a remarkably gentle and uh, smart, kind and soft-spoken man who was my editor until he retired in 1976, I think, and since then I've had Roger Angel, so I've really had very few editors for the fiction. Uh, poetry editors, uh, Howard Moss uh, for many years, and now Alice Quinn, uh, 
Sean, uh, the editor after Ross, uh, generally handled uh, my Talk of the Town pieces in the two years that I was a Talk of the Town writer. Now, I'm telling you much too much about something you only half-heartedly asked about. It, 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 what, what was the difference between being a quote-unquote staff writer from 55 to 57 to what came after? You never stopped writing. In fact, you write even more after leaving uh, or ostensibly leaving. What did you do in those two years that uh, that excited you for a while and then you had to drift away from it? Uh, the, um, by the end of the year at the Ruskin School of Drawing and Fine Art, where I'd been unexpectedly given a fellowship that I could take somewhere in the British Commonwealth, it was a very strangely worded scholarship and one I did not expect to win. Um, in those years, one expected to go into the army for two years, which took care kind of, of two, two years of your life in which you could um, mellow or, or whatever. Um, but instead, uh, I had the Ruskin School, and I had sold them maybe four stories by that time because I continued to write in England even while uh, going through the motions of being a, um, an art student. And uh, one spring after our first child was born, we were living in a basement flat on Italy Road. Uh, E.B. White and Catherine White, who were in England, showed up uh, rather alarmingly uh, at our humble basement flat. I, I'd never known what chillblains were until that, that winter. Uh, and they hurt. Uh, they surprisingly hurt. But. Uh, yeah, they offered me a job, uh, David, and uh, I think in those days you offered people you liked. It was kind of a paternalistic uh, organization, and they'd find something for you to do that you could do, but they just wanted to have you around. They wanted you to be part of